0: Welcome, and thank you for listening to Second Chance Cinema with MC and Spro. Before we begin our show, just a warning that our hosts do not censor their curse words and tend to spoil movie's endings. So if you haven't seen today's film, considering pausing this episode, watching it, and tuning in later. They won't take it personally. As always, MC and Spro, two well-mannered, handsome, wonderful boys. Appreciate all their listeners and look forward to debating the greatness of this hidden cinema gem. I'm MC's mom, and I have not been compensated for this introduction. Enjoy the show. Do we have
1: to wait? I mean, if we want to leave now? No, Susan, you don't have to wait. You can leave
2: whenever you like. Okay, listen, I know it's tough to think about leaving our homes, but clearly it's the most responsible thing to do right now. Quite likely nothing will happen, but it's better to be safe than sorry. I want you to remember, no one should leave tonight without a copy of the town's emergency evacuation plan. They will be handed out at the door on your way out. I'd like to turn the floor over now to Dr. Harry Dalton.
3: Thank you, Mayor Wondo. Uh, ladies and gentlemen,
1: first of all, I'd like it's to all thank you all less. for
0: coming down here.
1: This I'm week, out of here um, before it all hits the to fan. Be as brief as possible. Excuse, me. Excuse me. I would like
3: to underline that these are just precautionary measures. Um, we don't want to start a panic. Did anybody feel that? Gentlemen, please remain calm. Please just stay calm. I felt that. Just stay calm. Make it. Don't push. Please stay calm. Do not rush. Do not rush. the exit.
0: Last night I passed a Gallstone, which for those of you who don't know is an excruciating experience. I was hunched over for close to probably four hours in the fetal position, writhing, moaning, and just in agony. And the physical and emotional toll that took on me was nowhere in comparison to the physical and emotional toll of Dante's Peak. That is to say that this movie is banana. And there's definitely a lot to unpack. Welcome to Second Chance Cinema. I'm joined today as always by my, my handsome co-host Spro.
1: What's up? Oh, you're you're too flattering. Too flattering. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I am good. It's been raining for 40 days and 40 nights, it seems like in Cleveland, yep. but weathering the storm appropriately.
0: You know what? You asked me how I'm doing and I said good. I lied to you because passing a gallstone is terrible. It and doesn't sound pleasant I, at all. I can still feel it. I found out I'm getting my gallbladder removed next week, which is going to be awesome. So maybe we can give it away as a prize to a lucky listener. But beyond that, we're joined today by a very special guest who, if you were one of the three or four people who listen to our Michael Bay podcast, you might remember him as one of the most well-spoken advocates of Michael Bay cinema that I've certainly ever had the pleasure of conversing with. He's also a uh, an award-winning author, two books available on Amazon, um, Ocean of Storms and Zero Limit, which are both just really awesome epic sci-fi books that you can check out. We are joined today by Mr. Jeremy Brown. Jeremy, how are you?
2: I'm great. Thank you very much. I'm very, very happy to be here.
0: You're actually the one who recommended Dante's Peak as a candidate for Second Chance Cinema. You said when we asked you to come on the show, we you know, we, we asked you to suggest a few movies, and I think you know, within seconds, you were like, oh, Dante's Peak. So <laughs> before we dive in too far, can you tell us exactly why that movie jumped to the forefront of your mind?
2: Uh, it's a good question. First of all, I have- half my DVD collection is second chance cinema candidates so that's <laughs> first and foremost. so that's kind of how it was so easy I just had to go look quickly on the shelf and pull out the first thing that was there but I think it was just that it's one of those movies that like it kind of came out at the height of that sort of disaster movie kick that Hollywood was on in the late 90s like post independence day and most of them were pretty forgettable but I always remember that one being kind of unfairly maligned and unfairly lumped in with some of the other bad movies which I'm sure we'll talk about and Again, you know, that I means it's got Pierce Brosnan, it's got Linda Hamilton as the mayor, it's got Grant Heslov, which I'm sure we'll touch
0: on as well. <laughs> Second Chance Cinema is a huge, huge advocate of Grant Heslov. Anything he does, we're, we're for, you know, times infinity.
2: Absolutely. This is a very pro-Heslov space. Just is great. <laughs> you know, really deserves another another look.
0: Well, that's why we're here. So, um, so for those of you who don't know, the elevator pitch of Dante's Peak. Pierce Brosnan plays a um, handsome volcanologist who sets out to warn the town called Dante's Peak that their dormant or their uh, supposedly dormant volcano is about to erupt. Linda Hamilton plays the mayor of the town who somehow lives above a deli and she and he Navigate this disaster as best as a 1997 movie can. Okay, so let's dive right into the one of the greatest traditions of Second Chances, which is getting a little bit of a facelift today. Normally, what we do is we play the trailer of the movie that we're talking about, and during the trailer, we write an ode, so to speak, to the movie. And in the past, we've sort of just decided ourselves whether it was going to be a haiku or a limerick or a song parody or whatever. But in an effort to just sort of spice things up a little bit i've created a a wheel of possibilities a wheel of poetry if you will that has on it five different possibilities there's song parody limerick toast slash roast haiku and standard a b a b poem you guys ready oh yeah i'm ready
2: ready. jeremy you have any questions no no i'm ready to go
0: i have nothing but faith in jeremy he's one of the best writers i know so whatever we come on i bet he's gonna just he's gonna knock it out of the park here we go Toast slash roast. All right. all right. All right. Toast slash roast. So this is the first time we've ever actually done this, so this is great. Toast slash roast. We can say anything we want to about the movie as a whole, characters in the movie, certain plot points that may have stood out, and all we have to do is is do it during the time in which the trailer is played. So Spro, you want to go ahead and cue it up?
1: Here's the trailer for Dante's
3: Peak. It turns day into night air into fire, nothing in the world can compare to its power, the most awesome sight you will ever see may be your last, in the town of Dante's Peak, a volcano is turning nature into a nightmare. Pierce Brosnan, Linda Hamilton, Dante's Peak. The pressure is building.
0: That was a great tagline, by the way.
2: (laughs) That was really good.
0: That was probably the shortest trailer we've ever examined on this show, correct, Spro?
1: I think so. And when I was looking for it, it was the official trailer, but it really looks kind of like a teaser trailer. Because for the first probably, it's a minute and 22 seconds. And probably for the first 40 seconds of it, it's just pyroclastic cloud nice. coming toward the screen.
0: Excellent! I'm so happy you said that because I watched this with my wife. There's a part where he says that and she's like, what did he say? And I was a total know-it-all. I was like, oh, pyroclastic cloud. You didn't know that? <laughs>
1: Whatever. Well, and it's funny, too, because, of course, Pierce is working with trying to get an American accent. And apparently for like a long extended period of time, he only practiced that line because he was like, it's, <laughs> it's the climax of the movie. Mm-hmm. I need to get this line. Perfect. And I read that trivia on I think it was IMDb or Wikipedia or somewhere on the Internet. And I was like, oh, man, he is going to like shout this line. This is going to be a proclamation in the movie. And He's really just like throwing it off his shoulder as he drives
3: Cloud.
0: It was a complete throwaway that you'd probably only notice if you had closed capture, to be honest. <laughs> so. Alright, so we landed on Toast slash Roast. And this is the first time we've ever done one of these on this show, so we'd ask you, both of our listeners, to give us a little bit of grace. I'm going to go first. Here's to you, Jeep snorkel. You're an accessory on Pierce Brosnan's Jeep that should not exist. Somehow, you allow him to drive underwater. Across a lake during a volcano. Let's all suspend our disbelief and salute you, you aftermarket plot device. I,
1: I know you were nervous about going first, but that, that was really good. I like. Oh, thanks, it. man. <laughs> thanks, I had man. a smile on my face that entire time. Good, good. All right, you're up. All right. I, I rhymed a little bit because, you know, old habits break hard. Yeah. But uh, here's to the haters of Dante's Peak who spew the quote-unquote facts on IMDb. They say you cannot traverse an acid pond, but I say you can if you're James Bond. Nice! That was... I'm clapping. That was great. Great. Thank you.
0: All right, and our special guest. No pressure.
2: Yeah, I know. The pressure's really on now. So <laughs> mine refers to a specific sequence in the movie. Early on, it's kind of the scene that really lets you know that there's uh, trouble brewing in the town of Dante's Peak, the idyllic town of Dante's Peak. And that is the scene with the couple in the hot spring. Excellent. And so, so it's a toast in memoriam to them.
1: Okay. Toast. I'm excited.
2: Yes. Raise your glasses to the couple in the hot spring. They went looking for love, but all they found was lava.
0: <laughs> see, do you see what we did there? Like, that was such a great combination of different approaches to this new topic, this new category of poetry. I love it. That's awesome. I like I like this <laughs> wheel. We're going to keep it. Keep the wheel of poetry. So question, was the guy who got killed in the hot spring Skeet Ulrich?
2: I think that it was. I maintain that it was. Ali and I had this discussion when re-watching it, and we both came to the conclusion because that it was a, a Skeet Ulrich. Post-screen. So I looked
0: on uh, IMDb, Wikipedia. I could not find him. I don't know if I, I think I probably got bored at that point and didn't decide to actually, like, Google Skeet Ulrich Dante's Peak. But that was my first thought. And so... That's the second instance. What I love about this movie from the very beginning, first of all, the opening montage is Pierce Brosnan and his wife or girlfriend trying to escape a volcano that's erupting in, I think, Colombia. And it is, mm-hmm. I, wrote, I wrote down opening montage, grim as fuck, because it's not like the typical disaster movie. This movie is just hell on earth right from the beginning. And what struck me the most was that it, that it painted the volcano in Colombia and volcanoes in general as almost sentient serial killer, murder rocks or, or whatever because they're driving in the in the pickup truck, escaping the volcano. The way they show this, a flaming lava rock, like erupts from the volcano, and it's almost. It reminded me of Elf when Buddy the Elf throws a snowball at that kid across Central Park, because <laughs> it, it just hammers through the roof of the pickup truck directly into her head, as if it yeah. was aimed and if, as if it was purposeful. Did, did anyone else I, notice that?
2: A hundred percent. I think it was like. Well, they did. They did this with Twister too, where it was like, yep you know, trying to create like, oh, you know, it's the dark side of nature. Nature has a personality. Nature is a beast. You know, like they were trying to give the tornado in that movie a personality. And like Helen Hunt uh, has that line where she's like, you know, it missed this house and it missed this house and then it came after me. And so I think they were trying to do the same thing with the volcano. The volcanoes are evil. And if you try to study them and try to probe their secrets, they'll turn on you. I felt like they were trying to like almost go in that direction. Well, they vilified the the
0: volcano and then they further vilified it when it boiled the the naked couple in the hot spring because that was essentially Jaws with a volcano. Is what it was. And again, that further emphasized that this volcano is like a, a sentient being that hates people. Oh, and it sets up Pierce Brosnan almost as this super vengeful guy who's got this beef against volcanoes because you you can almost hear him saying like, oh, a volcano killed my wife. I'm going to get that volcano someday.
2: True. I felt like I was actually surprised they didn't lean into that more. Like nobody calls the volcano a bitch throughout the movie, which he really felt like it was a missed opportunity. Like she's a real bitch, you know, or I'm very surprised because I felt like they were definitely setting it up and it was like Pierce Brosnan, not Joe versus the volcano. This is Pierce versus the volcano. <laughs> They didn't lean into that as heavily as I would have expected. They were going It's definitely part of his story, but like, couldn't you see like him standing in the center of town like, come on, you know, or something? It's like the lava's coming down, or mm-hmm. something. like he's yeah, like definitely... he's
0: actually gonna fight the volcano like with his fists. Like that would yeah, be awesome.
2: That would be awesome. And if they'd cast Arnold Schwarzenegger, they probably would have gotten that. <laughs>
0: So then we fast forward, I forget how many years, and he's sort of this, not a desk jockey, but like, you know, his lifestyle is much more calm. He still works for like the US Geological Service and he gets roped into going to investigate Dante's Peak. My favorite part early in this movie, not not just the volcano killing the lady, but was the line when he's about to, I guess, go on the adventure to Dante's Peak. The guy who plays Sue Young's dad in Rush Hour. I don't know his name, but that's how I know him.
2: Z, I think it's T-Z-I. Is, uh, so I how okay. How and Ma. And Z a. Ma. All
0: right, we'll yeah, go with he's, that. He's talking and he says, Harry, going on vacation isn't going to kill you. And right there, it's just like, oh, I think it might. Because <laughs>
2: <laughs> I bet that was
0: pitched
1: as a tagline. <clears throat>
0: So Spro, when, so we arrive in Dante's Peak and- Before we
1: arrive in Dante's Peak, did anybody else, is this just me? Because I, my mom has a huge crush on Pierce Brosnan and I always was like, why is that? And Pierce Brosnan is a widower. His wife died, I think in the nineties and he was famous for staying home and coaching her through cancer. So when his wife dies in the movie by getting busted out, and I was like ooh is this like he like this is a personal story for him and he brought a little bit of his wife so when he's doing the push-ups to like exhaustion oh god I wonder if that was like yeah. he was uh if he was channeling some of his when he went into mourning for his real wife I didn't but, know any of that because he wanted to do when he first this is like right
2: after first, uh, the uh, first Bond movie that he did Goldeneye right, right after that came up so Pierce Brosnan was already riding high but I had heard that he would wanted to do a remake of On Her Majesty's Secret Service which spoiler mm for a 50 year old movie is the movie where bond gets married and his wife gets killed he said in interviews around that time that he wanted to try and do a remake of that that was a you know one of the bond movies he would have loved to have done because he could channel that feeling of like losing your wife and all the anger and you know grief and everything and, and bring that to the character
1: that would have been great i mean he's one of my favorite james bonds i think he just suffered from horrible directing and writing with his movies. oh yeah
2: absolutely Absolutely. If he had been in the hands of you know competent scripts and uh, direction, I think he would have been Bond for more than four movies, without a doubt.
1: Right. I mean, I was looking at the Bonds the other day for Second Chance Cinema, and I was like, I ri- I just can't justify the Denise Richards.
0: <laughs> Do you guys want to know know something that, that might get me exiled from the show? I've never seen a James Bond movie. How's that <laughs> I've never seen a James Bond movie. I mean, it's not that I'm opposed to them. It's just I never really got into that i don't know but back to back to james bond versus the volcano so
2: nice executive's office said listen james bond versus the volcano
0: sold let's do it who's the woman sarah connor
2: perfect let's
1: go
0: so wait let's talk about that so dawned on me while i was watching the movie that i don't think i could name another movie that linda hamilton is in as a leading lady she was beyond perfect in terminator and terminator 2 didn't see terminator 7 or whatever
1: the new one is don't want to talk about it
0: but and i guess it dawned on me like like what other movies has she in as a lead role? Bro, I feel like Uh, you would know.
1: Yeah, before, I mean, before Terminator, she was in Children of the Corn, right? The original one. It's got a great opening scene to that. I actually like the original Children of the Corn.
2: She did that show Beauty and the Beast for a long time. That was like three (laughs) or four seasons or maybe more. That was on for a while. So that was her only, her biggest high profile thing outside of Terminator. But that was before this, wasn't it? That was, that was. That was like the late 80s, early 90s.
0: Yeah. So my point was like, so Linda Hamilton and... And Pierce Brosnan are obviously, they're the male and female leads of the movie. And there's a budding love story throughout, sort of. However, the sexual tension, I would argue, between Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton equals that of random people in an elevator. Do you guys remember when Michael Jackson kissed Lisa Marie Presley? That's what the last scene reminded me of. And it's nothing against either of them. It was just a really weird pairing, I feel like.
1: The only thing I took from that last kiss was, I don't think kids would ever look at two making out adults and just cheese in reality, like as if they were getting thrown popcorn. So here's my
0: here's my issue with that last kiss. Pierce Brosnan had been in a crushed pickup truck for about, I believe, two days <laughs> is what they said. Lynn <laughs> Linda Hamilton and those kids had been in a mine shaft also for two days. So number one, no brushed teeth amongst any of number two, there's no way Pierce Brosnan didn't piss himself at least once in that truck. So as they're embracing each other amongst the ash and the you know, the the debris of a volcano, all I kept thinking of was how terrible they must smell. So that's just me though. But the one thing I did like about the budding relationship was there was a scene where, like I said at the beginning, for some reason, Linda Hamilton's character the mayor lives above and operates a deli, which, I mean, I don't recall any specific explanation like, oh this deli's been in my family for a thousand years it's it's an heirloom deli or something like that, it was just a random like, yeah we live in a deli.
2: Get a cup of joe and talk to the mayor, I'm approachable, you know, kind of that like small town thing, and also like, you know, kind of quirky, like, I'm the mayor and I also run the coffee shop and I also the postmaster
0: <laughs> Speaking of a cup of joe the scene where where you know things are going to get hot between them Pierce Brosnan goes in the in the deli and orders a cup of coffee and she spills it on him like on his mm-hmm. hand which was a great metaphor for both the heat between them and danger.
2: Yes. That
0: That's kicked great. it off. So the one thing one of the things and and I want you guys to weigh on this too. This movie to me was a perfect allegory for what's going on right now with coronavirus because on one hand you have the experts saying we need to evacuate these people, the town's in danger, we need to consider, you know, the fatalities and the death and all that. On the other hand, there's a scene in this boardroom where there's like three or four politicians and they're all like, oh, we need to keep the town open because uh, there's an investor who's going to invest a million dollars and build a new cell phone tower and it's going to be ruinous for the economy. And as I'm watching that, I'm, I'm just thinking like, God, this is this is a more appropriate movie than, than ever to watch right now.
2: That's really true, yeah. You know, I mean, I didn't see it through that lens when I was watching it again, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, definitely like you're seeing that happen every day on the news now, yeah. And it's also the Jaws kind of mentality, you know, the the mayor, you know, wanted to open the beaches on Amity Island when the shark, you know, the little Kittner boy gets swallowed up and, and everything's going on there. So it's kind of the same thing where scientists knows what's happening, that's trying to talk reason to these local yokels, but they're more concerned with preserving their own little piece of land than uh than the danger of
0: approaching. Also appropriate. Spro, do you remember what I just texted you before we started why today's recording is especially appropriate?
1: Oh, yeah, because it's the anniversary of Mount St. Helens.
0: Today is the 40th anniversary of the eruption of Mount St. Helens. So oh wow. Even though you won't be hearing this, hearing it on the day we record it, as we're recording it right now, we're feeling the vibe of, of that, <laughs> that anniversary.
1: I have the two notes is one with the current pandemic going. On One of the big critiques of this movie was experts in the field saying that this movie didn't do enough to show the dangers and the economic costs of a false alarm. They thought it was kind of like downplayed in this film. How bad is a false alarm? They kind of explored in this movie where, well, we did a false alarm in this city and and, and the impact that it had is, is crazy.
0: So you're talking about like his, what was his boss's name? Paul, the guy who dies Paul. on the van. Yeah. Paul, he, he gave this speech where he talks about, ladies and gentlemen, here's the reality. Here's what we plan to do. Here's why we plan to do it. Here's what evidence we have. And honestly, he had me convinced. I was like, maybe Pierce Brosnan's full of shit because that, that speech was very rational and it was very like he presented a really, really good case for not evacuating the town, which I thought was interesting because normally it's just a more hysterical, like, we can't evacuate the town. We'll lose all kinds of money. But he was more like, you know, he he knew what he was talking
1: about. And the funny thing is, is like later on in the film, you know, when they're trying to get Pierce off the mountain, they go, we got everybody in town. Let's go. And I was like, wait, it worked? <laughs> you know, like- (laughs) he delayed against Pierce's better judgment. And that's usually I mean, he pays for it with his life, which we'll get into. But Mm -hmm. it's usually that guy who delays that, you know, when five innocent civilians die, the hero looks at him and goes, you could have prevented this. Right. But in the end, it seems like even with the delay, they were able to get everybody out of Dante's peak. The other note that I wanted to make, Jeremy mentioned it. This is quintessential Jaws. You know, this is Jaws with the volcano. And I'm wondering if there's any other movies that were made monster movies or takeoffs of monster movies that you could say, like how when Die Hard came out and they're like, that's the quintessential action movie. So then Speed 2 Cruise Control was Die Hard on a boat. I don't know why I started with that. Speed was <laughs> Die Hard on a bus. <laughs> wow. <laughs> why? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't
1: know, um, but like, first... so this is Jaws with a volcano, and I'm wondering, is there any other films out there that's a monster movie? You know, it's Jaws, but with is Twister? Is Twister Jaws with a tornado?
2: I don't think as much because people were aware of the tornado and actively reacting to it. Whereas I think the, the key to Jaws was that only a handful of people were acknowledging that it was a threat, and everybody else was like, "Look, it's fine. The beaches are open. It's a beautiful day in Amity Island." You know, uh, well, Lake Placid would be one, right? I mean, mm. that was.
0: Oh, Lake Placid, that's second chance all the way.
2: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Like that's straight up jaws in almost every regard, you know. Jaws with an alligator. Exactly, yeah.
0: Wait, here's one. What about the relic? Do you remember that?
2: (laughs) Yes, with the monster in the museum?
0: We need to have the gala. We'll never recover. Blah, blah, blah. And then the monster (laughs) breaks loose and stuff.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's a terrible movie. I'd like to uh, um, recognize the the grandma character because she also plays the salty grandma in the River Wild, which is another second <laughs> tense of the movie. And I was like, <laughs> wow. I was like, "Is this just like her typecast role? Like when you need like a sassy country grandma who lives up in the mountains, like you
1: you get this actress." <laughs> she is the strongest character arc. I thought I she sucked. <laughs> right.
0: I thought she what? sucked, and here's why: because. Let's quarterback this, okay? So she's, she's Linda Hamilton's mother-in-law. And so they um, establish tension between them and blah, blah, blah. Then the volcano starts to erupt. She lives up on the mountain. And this was... <laughs> this might have been both my favorite and my most infuriating line in the movie. She's up on the mountain. And I think this is when Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton go up searching for the kids. And they try to find her. And she's still in her house, like, as the volcano is erupt like event. she's still in her like log cabin house on the side of the volcano and she <laughs> says that they're like you got to get out of here and and she grandma says this mountain's never gonna hurt us she's got this terrible terrible entity spewing forth destructive garbage and she's like no it's never gonna hurt us it's it cares about us it's it loves us and then her house goes up in flames and then they take her to the acid lake and we go there. So the fact that she said the mountains never going to hurt us just made me like it almost made me viscerally angry because like shut the hell up.
2: <laughs> there was probably a metaphor like a, a thinly veiled jab at like environmentalists or something there, like three huggers. Like take that. See, this is what nature thinks of you.
1: Well, I wonder why we were so obsessed with disaster movies in like 96, 97, because you just what's going on in the world? 96,
0: Nothing? 97, Tamagotchis, <laughs> um,
1: I, I don't even think it was a re- reaction
2: to anything that was happening in the world. I think it was that Independence Day blew up so big, and people were like, "Well, what else can we burn down? And what else can we destroy?" On, on? you know, like people got so excited at the um, whole sequence of like cities being destroyed in that movie that after that, it was like, "Well, let's see what else we can do." And so, because it was right after that, you had volcano, you had Dante's Peak, you had Armageddon, Deep Impact, Hard Rain. If you recall that with Christian Slater, oh <laughs> <laughs>
3: Wow,
0: I feel like we should be paying you a consulting fee for all the ideas you're giving us now. But you make a good point with Volcano. I mean, because that was basically, I mean, these two movies are essentially man versus Volcano. But this one, and, and I think we all agree that this is obviously the superior Volcano movie, I think mostly because of the progression of danger, but also because watching handsome Pierce Brosnan being James Bond fighting a volcano is a lot better than watching Tommy Lee Jones, who looks like an angry rubber band ball, uh, like yelling at people to get out of the street. It's exactly what you're saying. It was like, what else can we blow up in in light of Independence Day, which just sort of like set the bar in the 90s for, you know, destruction and, and just... Epic scale disasters.
2: Yeah, I think it was. I mean, I think if you were to trace that thread back to like where it started, Twister was pre Independence Day by a couple of months, but I think that came out of Michael Crichton because he wrote the screenplay for that. And that was like Jurassic Park, but with weather. <laughs> but I think as far as the explosion of disaster movies, I think Independence Day was kind of the, you know, patient zero for that.
0: The one thing that this movie did really well was, like I said, it reminded me of Speed because if you remember in Speed, it's Crisis after. For crisis after crisis to the point where you're like, what the hell is he gonna do? In this movie, it's exactly the same type of progression. It's- It starts with earthquakes, little earthquakes that wreak havoc. Then it starts with, or then it continues to ash falling from the sky, which I don't think a lot of people would consider that dramatic representation of a volcano erupting. It's just usually like the explosion and the lava and the fire. They did a lot of stuff with the ash where it was like covering people's cars. They couldn't see. There were people like driving out of control and stuff like that. Then there was the lava. Then there was the flooding. And in between the lava and the flooding, there was the acid lake, which... Again, uh, we go back to the grandma who reluctantly leaves her home on top of her benevolent mountain and somehow Pierce Brosnan explains that the lava and like the sulfur has turned the lake that they're trying to sail across on a rowboat to acid. So I didn't predict this. I thought that the grandma was going to fall out of the boat or something, but she. they get as far as they can go before the acid lake eats the propeller of the boat. And the grandma, I guess this is her redemption arc, she jumps out of the boat and pulls the boat toward the dock. Now, you guys said that she had a character arc in which she redeemed... Kind of redeemed herself from being a an asshole before. I maintain that she only tugged the boat like six feet, and <laughs> that eventually the current or the, the the wind would have blown them to the dock. And I think she was just trying to get attention. What do you guys think? I,
1: I'm going to argue with you. <laughs> go for it, man. I think you're doing this scene. It, this scene choked me up. <laughs> really? It's, it did. But like the whole thing, like so they're they all go out into the boat, right? And they start going over, and then Pierce is like, "Oh, something steaming." down there and then realizes, you know, the lake is acid, which full service, one of the critiques of the science behind this movie is that the acid lake would not have eaten through the boat as quickly as it did, but it would have stopped the engine of the propeller almost immediately. So they would have died slower in the lake away from the other side if it was all factually accurate. But with that aside, they start rowing, right? And then all of a sudden they go, oh shit, this water is eating through the boat. And then Everybody starts freaking out and Pierce has to, like, try to calm everybody down.
3: Graham! Don't touch the water. Come sit over here, sweetie. That's it. Sweetheart. Hey, everybody, put your feet up. Ruth, put your feet up, please. Volcanic activity has turned the leg to acid.
1: Acid eats metal.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Is the boat going to sink?
3: No, 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 sugar. no, it's not going to sink. Hey, you're scared. You can have my pistol. I can have it?
2: Yeah. Thank you.
1: singing row, row, row your boat. This is when I start being like, oh man. Oh, and, yeah. then, and then the, the brother gives his sister the volcanic rock and was like, you can have this for luck. I, I was out. I was like, oh man. That See? Is, that kid. And then the grandma sacrifices herself. I was like, oh yeah. This is when I wrote in my notes, thank you Jeremy because I had never seen this movie before and I was like, I'm in. I, th- this movie is fire. See? And volcanic fire. Lava.
0: Nice magma. It's magma hot. What I and maybe I was looking at this too cynically, but when he gave her the crystal, it reminded me of the end of Home Alone too. When Kevin McAllister, who's got a suite in the the Plaza Hotel, full of free presents and food and blankets and warm amenities and and everything you need, goes to his friend, the homeless pigeon woman, and gives her a turtle dove Christmas ornament. To me, that (laughs) the kid, I get the sentimentality of the the kid giving the crystal to his sister, but
1: also, it was kind of useless. I'm going to raise your James Bond uh, confession earlier. I've never seen Home Alone 2. Oh.
2: I'm a Home Alone 2 fan, and I, and I have to say that you and I have had this discussion about the turtle dove and, you know, just what a, what a gift it is. After he just spent $967 on room service, and then he <laughs> gives her a turtle dove. It's like, thanks. You know i sleep under a bench, right? Alright. I don't think it's the same thing in this instance, because Kevin had options. He could have brought her back to his suite at the Plaza Hotel. He could have given her $967 worth of ice cream. He had things that he could have done for the pigeon lady. Whereas they're in that boat that's rotting away on an acid lake. And in a, in a moment of trying to do anything to salvage some hope for his sister, he gives her this volcanic rock.
0: That's fair. It, Look, I was resentful against any type of stones because of my uh, my gallbladder issues. So maybe I looked at it through, through the wrongs. So uh, you guys both present a yeah. good argument. So here's the thing: 127 into the movie, an hour and 27 minutes into the movie, after the Acid Lake eats Grandma, after the bridge out of town collapses, oh, we forgot that Pierce Brosnan drives, literally drives a flaming pickup truck through a river of lava, essentially. Like the truck is on fire, the tires are on fire. So, which I mean, that's like you'd expect that in some like Fast and Furious movies, but that took me by surprise. But all of that stuff happens: the Acid Lake, the bridge, flaming tires, and the volcano. Volcano hadn't even erupted yet. There was a line in the movie where one of the girls says something. I think it was like the girl climatologist or whatever she says. She's just clearing her throat. She hasn't even begun to sing yet, which is a great, terrible line. But it dawned on me like as that happened that all this anarchy is going on and the volcano hasn't even erupted. And that was the part of the movie where I was just like man I am exhausted this movie great
2: yeah it's true it's very true but that's one thing too that they save it all for the back end of that movie there's like no barring the the couple in the hot spring which is the only real gruesome moment up until the end it's a good hour before anything happens and then after that everything happened. but it's like they spent all that time just laying the groundwork and building up characters such as they are so that when by the time you reach that point at the end where it's just it's overwhelming but it, it sort of you feel like you've earned it because you've sat through an hour of setup and you know the the meet cute with the coffee and all this other stuff to get to that point.
0: I mean that one of the movies that I'll talk about at length to anyone who wants to listen is The Raid and I love it because it's just again it's an exhausting movie like you watch it and you're just like oh I need a break I need to pause I need a breather. The end of this movie like the last whatever 45 minutes when all the disaster happens like that left me feeling the same way it just left me feeling and there were a lot of instances the boat with the propeller the part at the end where he gets crushed in the truck, which was one of the most uncomfortable scenes I think I've ever seen. I'm, I don't know if I'm claustrophobic or what. That made me cringe. But the whole time I'm thinking, I was genuinely thinking, how are they going to get out of this? Like, I know they are, but what's the solution going to be? I wasn't expecting Grandma to dive into the acid lake, but the movie kept me interested that way because I was always wondering, like, how is this going to resolve itself?
1: Can we talk about how horrific it would be to safely go onto a shore and then turn around and just slowly watch your friend struggle to drive his van up a dying bridge and then stare you into the eyes as he's swept off to sea. like I felt horrible for and we haven't even got into uh, Greg with Grant Hasloff who's front and center for the show of Paul dying with the Wilhelm scream so yeah let's talk about the Wilhelm
0: scream because that's the note that I wrote down with like eight exclamation points when Paul who's Pierce Brosnan's boss he's not the typical like I'm right you're wrong he's you know he's like he's a likable character and there's a scene where he's trying to finally evacuate the town in his van and he goes over a bridge that starts collapsing so he exits the van climbs up what was like i think it was like a satellite pole or something like that and as he does all of his other geologists and stuff are on the opposite side of the bridge watching him do this like rooting him on and then then the bridge just fucking collapses the van tips over and here right now if, if it's possible is where I'd like you to play the screen. The Wilhelm screen. <laughs> I laughed out loud when that happened because it was such a high pitch, It sounded like Goofy, like when Goofy would fall off the roof or something like that. All of his friends are just watching him, and he falls over into the water, just dead, and it was punctuated with that scream. Jeremy, did you notice that? Oh,
2: absolutely. You can't not notice the Wilhelm scream when you you hear it, and it it really does... When it's well-placed, it kind of is like a nice little button on a scene. It's like, oh, Wilhelm scream, that's cool. You know, like, they throw it all the time in Star Wars, but it definitely felt like in this moment it completely undercut the drama, the pathos of Paul, the regret, because the actor who did not know That he was going to be given the Wilhelm scream later on in post production. Really good (laughs) guy. Like I thought about that because I said you could see it on his face that he's trying to convey like you were right, I I screwed up, this is all my fault, and all this pathos and all this grief and 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 frustration that he probably felt. And he really tried. And then they just stuck a Wilhelm scream over it, and it
0: ruins it. That's a good point.
2: Yeah, I thought that poor actor didn't know that was going to happen to him. That he really tried to give this performance.
0: Best. They might as well have superimposed like a fart noise like oh he shit his pants when he died (laughs) just to completely undermine everything (laughs) not to
1: bring down the joy but that the actor is charles hallahan and he died later the year that this was released oh god bro you're such a killjoy
2: was this his last performance then
1: this no he had about i think it's two other movies that were released after this but this was like this was released in 97 and he died in 97
0: what pissed me off more about his death was at the end and i think it's actually um grant heslov's character who says it uh it's when they rescue Pierce Brosnan and he's like, "Where's Paul?" and whoever says it goes, "He didn't make it." At least he got to see the show, which is like, like all things considered, I probably would have chose living.
2: It's so true. It reminds me of, to use another Bond movie. There was in the seventies. He did the Man with the Golden Gun, and it was uh, Roger Moore's second Bond movie. I want to say maybe, but there's this incredible uh, chase scene. They do this jump over it's you know a river, and it's like a corkscrew, mm. and they actually did the stunt legitimately the car jumps flips over in the air and then lands and keeps going and it was all done practically it was all done legit and they shot it from like different angles so you could see that it wasn't like a model or anything it's wow. an amazing stunt and then you watch it in the movie and they put a slide whistle sound effect ever
3: heard of evo knievel
2: The car turns over in the air and in slow motion. I mean, it looks great. It was shot great. You just hear this like sound, and it's so ridiculous and it takes you out of the moment. Like It could be this really adrenaline-pumping moment, like, wow, that was awesome, what a great stunt. And instead, it, it's not impactful at all. It's a simple thing of, like, one sound effect can destroy a moment on film forever.
0: That's I, I'm going to have to check that out. If, if there's a Bond movie I'm going to start with, it's going to be that one. So, Spro, do you have review quotes, as is your way? Uh,
1: so, this movie was, it was released first because Volcano, like, the studios know when something else is being made that's very similar, kind of like Deep Impact versus Armageddon Bugs Life versus Ants. So this was versus Volcano and so they sped up production on Dante's Peak and this one was the worse reviewed but better box office of the two and the reviews were just pretty much nailing it for the, the dialogue that happens in the beginning. Like with the little girl and I don't want to like overly judge kid actors but if she probably made a pretty penny off of acting in this and for a while there I thought it was like Linda Hamilton's daughter or something, and she that's how she won the role because her line delivery on some of the things, even though some of the lines were funny and made me laugh, like when Linda Hamilton is like, where's my good jacket? And the daughter's like, you don't have a good jacket. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what a smarmy little girl. Yeah, so it was pretty much going off of that because the science in this movie, and we've been talking about it with that hour buildup of the volcano, I feel like I learned a lot from this movie. Like I kind of went, oh, a volcano, the earth rumbles and then the mountain spews loud and like I think I got most of my volcano knowledge off of Joe Versus the Volcano. This movie taught me all about like the ash and and how much crap can happen even before the lava.
0: It does a good job of illustrating like all the aspects of a disaster like a natural disaster because it explores the politics and there's actually a really good line in there where I think it was Paul probably said something like these are very delicate politics involved. And it's he's not wrong. Like as an outsider, you're just like,
1: leave the town, leave the town. And I'm very I'm curious Now I've never lived in an evacuee area. You know, we always see it come hurricane season that they're starting to warn people in Louisiana and Florida, you know, like you need to evacuate your towns. And then you see like the highways are crammed. It's interesting that up here in Ohio, we have our bad winters. I've never had to an evacuate my home or the city. And I wonder if somebody watching Dante's Peak would have the feeling resonate differently with them while watching it, because it is something that they have to deal with almost on a yearly basis on whether or not they should evacuate their homes based off of a, a threat that may or may not happen. I mean, that's a
0: valid point and one that I definitely hadn't considered. I can't compare any of my life experiences to an erupting volcano. So uh, it's easy to look at it from critical eye like that. But that's a good point. I mean, who knows what what it's like to be... In a volcano, especially in a volcano where Pierce Brosnan isn't there to guide you. That's the key. Yeah. That's the key. (laughs) That's the The, key.
1: uh this struck me from this movie, and I wonder if I'm going to carry this forward. When somebody goes to a bar, right, and then they order their drink, but they order it generically, Paul sits down and just goes, whiskey, and the bartender goes and gets him a whiskey, and then somebody else sits down at the bar and goes, beer, and the bartender and goes and gets him a beer. I'm like, there's more questions that are asked. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. Well, it's like an old West Saloon, you know, Yeah, you know, give me a whiskey. You know? yeah.
1: There's one yeah. brand, right. and there's no ice. The budget didn't suffer, because the practical effects of this movie are on point. Like this movie aged well for being 23 years old.
2: Yeah, that was one thing I was going to bring up is that watching it, there's, you know, the 90s was the era of CG, you know, it's the new toy and everything we can do with CG we're going to do and sometimes it worked and then sometimes it was really horrible and uh, this was a movie where they could have really just gone crazy and done all the effects CG but except for a few scenes here and there, it's all practical and I I think it really looks great, particularly the, the pyroclastic clouds sequence was just kind of the last big set piece of the movie you know I mean you know they're really blowing up these buildings and pine trees and I'm sure it's all model work but I mean it looks really impressive
0: so Jeremy you you recommended this movie and I forgot to mention I'd never seen it but this is my first viewing when you saw it previously what were your impressions versus seeing it again recently
2: so I saw it in the theaters in in 1997 and uh, really enjoyed it I thought it was a ton of fun I was like really exciting and whatever because you're also also left with that last hour. That's what sticks with. Forget about all the somewhat rather, you know, pedantic build-up that uh, occurs in the first hour, uh, and and the sort of cliched character development. And you're kind of just, you're into that ride, because it really doesn't let up. That last hour, you're pointing out about uh, Pierce Brosnan in the truck. He's not only in the truck, you know, getting wedged in there by falling rocks. He's got a broken arm where the bone is sticking out. It's like, they just throw everything at these characters. And so, when I walked out, I was like, that was, you know, Arrived and then kind of remembered it that way. And I don't think I saw it many times since in the, in the intervening uh, 23 years. Uh, and then watched it again, recommended it to you, and then watched it again. Still a, a ton of fun and a totally enjoyable movie.
0: Would you say it's among the best disaster movies? Oh yeah,
2: definitely. That for sure. If there is a category in which Dante's Peak can exist as the best, um, that would be it—the best of the disaster movies that came out in the late '90s. I, I would—I mean, I would say Armageddon would probably be still the reigning champ for me. But you know, I would have to give Dante's Peak at least silver medal in on that one. Would
1: you consider Titanic a disaster movie? Well,
0: considering it came on two VHS videotapes, Part One and Part Two. I would say that the scope of it was that of a disaster movie. Yeah, I would think so. I'm pretty sure it had the Wilhelm scream in it, right? But I mean, a disaster movie, yeah, it's it's a it's a progressive look at just this giant catastrophe. Not a natural disaster movie, but then again, neither was Independence Day.
1: Yeah. The only final two thoughts that I have, it was just a cute thing that I noticed that I was like, oh, I did that all the time too. When the kids, first off, we didn't even touch on the fact that the kids were stealing cars and driving through volcanic ash to get to their grandma but they leave a note for their mom saying that where they're going and then the ps is don't be mad (laughs) love it and then one of the science things that somebody had a problem with it's already you know heartbreaking and i think the actress played it really well when she gets popped in the head by the volcanic rock in the prologue pierce brosnan's wife and you know film wife marion when it happens but somebody was like well actually it wouldn't be a simple head wound. In reality, if the projectile was coming down fast and hard enough to punch through the roof of the truck, her head would have been turned inside out. I, I thought that was
2: pretty grim. The way it
1: was, you know. Oh I'm yeah, like, she's like shaking. She's having a seizure.
2: Yeah. So it's good to know that it could have been worse because I would have preferred maybe she, he just turned over, looked over, and she was just dead and said, "Okay, that's it." But they went a little bit farther with her, you know, convulsing and everything. So it's good to know that they actually used restraint in that scene.
1: I was surprised that they showed it, like his reaction was selling it. But oh, I do have kind of one final thing. So we're talking about how Jeremy would be a good consultant for the show. And Jeremy recommend movies till the cows come home because this one was a treat. But also the director and the writer team on this have some that I think we should take a look at. The director is Roger Donaldson. He did my favorite Tom Cruise movie, which is Cocktail, right? He did uh, The Getaway with Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. He did Species, which made me fall in love with Natasha Henstridge. He did The Recruit with Colin Farrell and Al Pacino. So that's him. But the researching the writer came up with two movies that I had completely forgotten about. One Daylight, with Sylvester Stallone being trapped in a tunnel. And I think the the second one is Nowhere to Run, which was one of my favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme movies that I completely forgot about.
0: Interesting. I mean, those all sound like we could put them in the queue right now.
2: Nowhere to Run was like Van Damme's attempt to like kind of a drama, wasn't it? He was trying to act a little bit more in that movie, if I remember. Like there was like that brief window where Hollywood kind of considered Van Damme as a star and it and and when it shot, it slammed shot. But it was like <laughs> 92 to like 94. And it was like, oh, Van Damme's like a serious, you know,
1: movie star. Yeah, and when he did like time had. cop, and then there was there was another Natasha Hensridge one at maximum risk. risk. Uh, so, uh, I yeah. noticed
0: neither of you mentioned Street Fighter. Um I'm willing to forgive that, but that's bullshit. Yeah,
2: no, Street Fighter is absolutely important. Been.
0: How do we get on Van Damme? Oh, We've come off topic. It? We did so good staying on topic until the end. So let's back up. So the last thing we talked about was the rock coming through the hood of the pickup. The first thing we talked about was the rock coming through the hood of the pickup. I think that's probably a, a good segue to wrapping up. Jeremy, we want to thank you profusely for, number one, recommending this movie because, like Spro said, it was a lot of fun. And number two, for joining us to do your first official movie-based Second Chance Cinema episode. Oh,
2: yeah. Thank you. Uh, really. You don't have to thank me. But- was my pleasure. This was so much fun. I could do this anytime. And uh like I said, all of my DVDs are Second Chance Cinema contenders pretty much. Uh, my, I went through a phase where it was like if I saw it, then I had to add it to like my DVD collection. So there were a lot of like late 90s and early 2000s movies that no one should own that I ended up bringing home. like Equilibrium.
0: Equilibrium I think if I'm not mistaken was like episode number 20 of Second Chance Cinema.
2: Yes, so you know you know exactly what I'm talking. About.
0: <laughs> well, thank you again very much for being here and hanging out with us and talking about the ridiculousness that was Dante's Peak. Yeah, that's it. Stay away from volcanoes if Pierce Brosnan tells you to. Why work.
1: Thank you to Jeremy K. Brown for being our special guest and recommending this movie. Check out his novels Zero Limit and Ocean of Storms currently available on Amazon. Dante's Peak was produced by Pacific Western Productions and distributed by Universal Pictures. Second Chance Cinema is a fan of the film and urges you to check it out. Closing credits music is from the soundtrack and composed by John Frizzell. James Bond is owned by Eon Productions. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you can reach us at secondchancecinema at gmail.com. That's 2NDChantCinema at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at mcnspro or check us out on Instagram at 2NDChantCinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps make us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? (laughs) Now go on. Have a wonderful day, you beautiful person you. We'll be right here, waiting.